Good morning, fellowship. My name is Tiara, and I'm one of the pastors here if I've not yet met you. And whether you are joining us online or in person here, we are so excited to gather for worship with you today. Uh, This morning's call to worship comes to us from our Song of Hope, which is um, our contemporary Reformed Confession of Faith. Um, Our Song of Hope um, takes the historic confessions of what we believe um, about God, about us in God, about the world and creation and what God is doing and all of that, uh, and brings it into contemporary language that is a little easier to say or to speak uh, than some of our our older language. Uh, So this morning, I'll actually read the one, and I'm going to invite you to read the all, the words that are after the word all on the screen. So uh, join me in both pondering and reciting these fresh words of our historic faith. We sing to our Lord a new song. We sing in a world a sure hope. Our God loves this world. God called it into being. God renews it through Jesus Christ. God governs it by the Spirit. God is the world's true hope. We are a people of hope, waiting for the return of our Lord. God has come to us through the ancient people of Israel as the true Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, as the Holy Spirit at work in our world. Our Lord speaks to us now through the inspired scriptures. Christ is with us day by day. Our only hope is Jesus Christ, After we refused to live in the image of God, he was born of the Virgin Mary, sharing our genes and our instincts, entering our culture, speaking our language, fulfilling the law of God. Being united to Christ's humanity, we know ourselves when we rest in him. Jesus Christ is the hope of God's world. In his death, the justice of God is established. Forgiveness of sin is proclaimed. On the day of the resurrection, the tomb was empty. His disciples saw him. Death was defeated. New life had come. God's purpose for the world was sealed. This morning, we contemplate the substance of this confession, which reminds us to place our hope in the Father who loves us, our hope in the Christ who redeems us, and our hope in the Spirit who restores us. In gratitude for the steadfast love of the Lord and bringing about his good purposes for us and for all of creation, let us join our voices in loving adoration of our triune God. Would you stand and sing with us?
Friends, today we're going to pray the scriptures, but first we need to hear them. So I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love, Romans chapter 12, the message translation, where it says, love, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the master. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they are happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other and don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, give him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. With those words fresh in our minds, I invite you to join me in prayer. It will be responsive on the screen. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you that you have loved us first. Truly, you love from the center of who you are, and it's never fake. We, oh God, want to love like you do. Please, oh God, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Loving Father, please teach us to love good and to hate evil and to always seek you humbly for the wisdom to know the difference. Mighty God, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Son of God, strong to save, you played second fiddle. You made friends with nobodies and discovered beauty in everybody. We long to be like you. Lord Jesus, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There are happy and hurting people in our midst today. So free us, O oh God, from obsession with ourselves so that we can laugh with our happy friends and share tears when they are down. Teach us, O oh God, to truly share life. God in Trinity, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Spirit of the living God, there are hungry and thirsty people in the world, and you are faithful in surprising us with goodness. So help us also to seek the lost, to love our enemies, and to overcome evil with good. Holy Spirit, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We pray these things in the strong and precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection that we have peace with God and peace with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you as you are comfortable to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor.
As you make your way back to your seats, I have the, uh, the great privilege of sharing with you good news. We are welcoming uh, new members into our fellowship this morning. In fact, if you are those new members, you can begin to make your way up here on stage as I'm sharing. These folks have endured with joy our Discover Fellowship Cafe class and in fact, we review with them this little hand motion that I shared, we've shared this together actually on the very first day of the COVID shutdown, we did this, but repeat after me as they make their spot into their places. Lock your fingers together, fold them down. Say, here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors and you see all the people. That's terrible theology, okay? We're trying to get rid of that, and so we say together with our new members class, they just recently did this. Do it again with me. Start like this. Say, here is the church. They might have a building. It might have a steeple. But the church is the people. And we are welcoming new members into our midst together this morning. Before we do the official questions and such, I'm inviting them to uh, introduce themselves uh, with a microphone, which would be super helpful. <laughs> we'll start down here with the Basilins. If you would introduce yourselves, there's a photo that will go up behind you with your family and maybe a word about why fellowship. Hi, thank you. Yeah. Um, Tim Basilin, Robin, this is Case. We couldn't get the 15-year-old here for the 9 o'clock service. He'll be here at the 1030 service. And we have two girls who are in college. Um, and we, uh, uh, we live really close by, and we like being at a church that's nearby. And we really like the people and the, particularly the three structure of pastors, of the three pastor structure. We really appreciate that. Did I get it all? Excellent. That's great. You came all the way from Texas. Yeah. Come on. Very good. Hi. We are Ann and Will Edwards. Um, Annie and I have been married about two and a half years. I was raised in Grand Hello. Rapids, mm. and Annie moved into Holland. We met online, and so I kind of moved to Holland too, and we got married. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have 10 grandchildren between us, between our two families. We were previously married, obviously. For us, I think fellowship, and I know for me, is one of the warmest churches I've ever been to. It is very embracing and a wonderful place to grow our faith, and that means a lot to us. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Um, my name's Shannon, and I moved here from New Jersey a little over a year ago. Um, I'm two years saved, so a bit of a baby Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, and I currently live, I, when I first moved here, I lived in Zealand, and now I live in Wyoming, so a little bit of a drive, but um, this church is worth it. It's probably the nicest church I've ever encountered. Um, you all accepted me right away, even though I'm a little weird. <laughs> so, um, and the reason I like this place so much was that as soon as I walked inside, it just felt like Jesus. So. Amen. Hold off Cortman's, please, because I'm going to call attention to the back of the space. We have Hugh and Marlene Harper. Would you please stand? Marlene recently had surgery on her leg, and so they're not coming all the way up to conquer the stairs today. But they are returning to fellowship after having been away for decades and coming back and officially joining with us again. We're eager to have them back in our midst. So uh, thank you, and uh, we can maybe catch them on the camera in the back as well. So, All right, Cortman's, back to you guys. We are Julie and Cal Cortman. 
we are here. We took a little hiatus from going to church, like a lot of people during COVID. And then we decided we were going to come back to church, and we decided to come to fellowship. We were members here 30-some years ago also. Um, And when we walked in the door, a face greeted us, Ken Eriks, and Mm -hmm. he actually said, Cal, Cal and Julie, after 30-some years, and it felt like (laughs) home. And so we, we love it. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I'm Jeff Langans, and this is my wife, Cindy, and my son, Wyatt. Um, We've been attending uh, fellowship now for just about a year um, as visitors. Uh, Recently moved um, back to the north side. Um, Yeah, we've enjoyed our time and felt very welcome. We've got uh, quite a few friends and some family in the congregation and um, are transferring from uh, Faith Reformed in Zealand. Carol and Sandy Schultz. Um, we moved from the Lansing area to uh, Zealand about uh, 16 months ago, uh, chasing kids and grandkids. Uh, got tired of driving back and forth from Lansing to see them at sporting events and so on. Um, we sort of looked around at churches, looked at a number of churches. We're not real tickled with too many of them. Ed and Jenny Schmidt, who are members here, invited us. They're longtime friends of ours. and. We found home. Excellent. Glad to have you here, even though there's that Sparty guy up there with you. (laughs) 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 Pastor Tierra is going to ask a few of the official questions for you. They already know these questions. members to profess not only the faith that they have in Jesus Christ, but also the love that they have for the community of Christ that they are joining themselves to. And so, um, newest members, um, beloved of God, today we ask you before God and Christ's church to reject sin and evil, to profess faith in Christ Jesus, and to join the public witness of the church by answering these questions. Um, Do you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in the world? If you do, say, I renounce them. And who is your Lord and Savior? Uh, And will you be faithful members of this congregation and through worship and service seek to advance God's purposes here and throughout the world? And do you promise to accept the spiritual guidance of the church, to walk in a spirit of Christian love with this congregation, and to seek those things that make for unity, purity, and peace? Yeah, you do. Uh, so, <laughs> congregation, um, this is not only a profession of faith, but it's also a profession of love for the body of Christ. And we ask that you would also profess your commitment to these new members and your love for them as well. And so, if you could stand with us, you have vows or promises to make as well. So, congregation, do you promise to love, encourage, and support these brothers and sisters by extending God's love? by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. If so, say, please, uh, please say, we do. we do. Thank you. Have a seat. <laughs> hey, let's join together in prayer over our newest members here this morning. God, we are so excited 
to welcome these dear brothers and sisters into the life and fellowship of this church called Fellowship. Today we pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and fill us too. Fill your entire church worldwide so that together we might be united in you and collectively bear witness to the good news that is Jesus Christ and to experience this good news ourselves and to share it with those around us. Help us to be a community that shines like a light in your world and for your glory. We pray these things in the strong and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Verse, uh, we now charge you in the words of Ephesians 4 to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have all been called as brothers and sisters in Christ and as people, sons and daughters who belong to our, lo our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Father. Uh, we also charge you with humility and gentleness with one another and the people in this congregation and the people in the world around us. We also charge you to bear with one another in love and with patience, which is sometimes hard to do, especially in community. And lastly, we ask that you make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Congregation, let's join together in welcoming the newest members of our congregation. Hey They have some fellowship swag bags in the front row that they'll get after the next service, though. Hey, good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. My name is Ross Dealman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where together it is our mission to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. We are all too eager to welcome new folks into living out that mission with us here and for the many of you who have been doing so already for so long. Thanks be to God. If you are new and would like to make yourself known, we have connection cards available and a welcome center out back. Uh, we'd love to get to know you as you are ready uh, for that um, and to welcome you into our midst. We have another guest up here with us wearing the other team's shirt. Come on up here, Winfred. Uh, Winfred Burns is new to town, a pastor uh, at Maple Ave Ministries, a partner of ours, and you've maybe heard about them because he came to Holland here, a very warm and friendly, one of the nicest places uh, in America, and, and the church was very cold. And uh, they ended up having, right after he arrived, a, a broken boiler. And uh, so they've been uh, stepping right into some challenges, but also experiencing a wonderful community. He's here to bring greetings. Where'd the microphone go? Oh, A+. Plus. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> good morning. It's very good to be here uh, in Holland as well, uh, as in this warm, this warm um, body of, of Christ believers. Um, again, I am Winfred Burns II. I am the lead pastor at Maple Avenue Ministries, and it's good to see some, some very familiar faces around the room. I wanted to stop by here for a moment just to thank you for what you are, are to this community. As I stepped back in Holland, what I realized is that there is a season that the body of Christ is in where really God is requiring for us to be what I am telling Maple Avenue, a people of impact. And what that means is that, that we are in a season where the world needs to see the difference between uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And so we've been really teaching about what that means to be a people who love like Jesus. And I see you all are at Matthew, so y'all feeling what we doing too on the other side of town. 
And so I'm just glad to be here because of the impact that I know that you all have, not only on us as Maple Avenue, but on, what you, on the impact that you have in this community. So I want to say thank you um, again for being who you are. I wanna say thank you for your partnerships over the years, and I look forward to even more partnering with this church uh, so that we can make the name of the Lord great. Because truly, I think I'm not the only person. Um, by the way, I'm charismatic, so if I talk a little bit, I need y'all to talk a little back. Um, that, that I'm not the only person who knows that Jesus is the way, right? I'm not the only one that knows that the love that we get from having a true relationship with God is the way for all people. And so I wanna just continue to encourage you um, to be who you are because uh, even us on the other side of, of the, the South Side, I'm from Chicago, so South Side is a little different than South Side here. <laughs> but, um, but that even on the other side of the river, we are, uh, we love you and we appreciate you and we honor you uh, for who you are and for what you do. Winford, we love you back and are super glad that you are here in Holland and that we have opportunity to partner in ministry. Would you give him a warm fellowship welcome? Thank you, brother. One other detail in our life, even as we celebrate uh, a nearby neighbor, we also have partners globally, and we are sending out this week, as of tomorrow, uh, a team to our mission partner in Nicaragua. So Pastor Nate Skipper is going, Bill and Barb Dobertine are going, and Mary Moore. And so I wonder if you would just join me in prayer over them before they go. Let's pray. God, we recognize that you are the giver of every good gift, whether it is right here nearby, uh, the things that are happening here in Holland, Michigan, or whether it is the things that you are already doing in Nicaragua and the opportunity that you always extend to us to join you in ministry and in mission. We give you thanks for this team that is going to use their time, talents, and treasures to glorify you and build relationships elsewhere. And we ask that you would use that as a witness to us also, that you are a giving God and that we also can be a giving people. And so even as we gather and worship and give of our tithes and offerings and even our worshiping, we pray that you would take those gifts and multiply them for your glory in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in worship together. And as we continue in worship, uh, this next song is really a prayer for illumination, that as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word preached and spoken, that the Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts, we would be open to what God wants to speak uniquely to us. Would you stand and let's sing together, Spirit of the Living God.
now and you can't hear me. Amen, and may it be so, is what I was trying to say. I kind of wish that I wasn't here right now, because Winfred, I want to hear preach. I don't want to preach. I want to hear you preach, brother. Thanks for being here. We're so grateful uh, to have you in our midst. Well, as we begin our journey to Nicaragua this morning, we will all be carrying all of our belongings in a small carry-on bag. Yes, with those specified measured liquid containers, with our emptied out water bottles, with our baggies, and all the other accompaniments of a carry-on bag. And you might be saying, why are you packing all of your things in a small carry-on bag when you're traveling internationally and you have like three legs of travel? Why are you doing that? Is it because you're cheap, Nate? You might be thinking that, but that's not the primary reason. Actually, the primary reason is because we have three legs and two different airlines, and so we don't want to have to take our bags out of the thing, the carousel in Miami, and then check them back in. So we're like, let's just keep our bags with us. We are going to be forced to pack lightly, to take less with us, to minimize our baggage. Do you ever wish that you could minimize some of your baggage? Not just the physical stuff that we pack into our bags or our houses, but the emotional baggage that we all seem to carry with us. The baggage from our past, the hurts that have sometimes come from people we love or institutions that we care so deeply about. Or maybe it's the baggage of stressors or challenges that you've faced in the past week conversations that keep getting rehearsed over and over in your head, or stories that your mind just can't stop writing about what other people think of you. Or maybe it's the baggage of anxieties and fears of what's to come in the future, how this diagnosis will impact you, or how you're going to break free from this conflictual situation that you find yourself in. My hunch is that many of us came in this morning packing some bags, and we all long to pack a little bit more lightly, don't we? Sometimes I like to imagine Jesus as a a bellhop at an airport, if there are things such existed. And he offers to carry our bags with us, not stealing them and throwing them away or taking them and making them disappear, and also not ignoring them and pretending like they don't exist but willing to offer a lending hand, willing to hold on to our bags so that we might be able to see them a little bit differently and maybe lighten the impact that they have on who we are. I want you to hold on to that image of Jesus carrying our bags this morning for a little while. This morning, we are going to be continuing our worship series, or we are, on Jesus as the master teacher. And we make this qualification every single week. So for those of you that are around, I'm sorry, but for those of you that are new or visiting with us this morning, we know that Jesus is more than a teacher, Winfred. We know that he is also our Lord and Savior and our friend, as our bulletin so explicitly states. But Matthew's gospel seems to lend itself to focus on Jesus. Jesus as our teacher. Why? Because there's five different sets of teaching in the gospel of Matthew. For the past three weeks, we've been focusing on the first set of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And this week, we're jumping to the third set of teachings on the parables of the kingdom of God. Parables. That's a different form of teaching. They're really not expository sermon-like, but more stories that reveal something to us about what God's kingdom is like. 
The word parable comes from the Greek verb to set side by side or to compare two things. Uh, Jesus takes something from common life and compares it with the kingdom of God. But this isn't a one-to-one correlation. This is more like a riddle that, that kind of activates our thoughts to th- consider how this thing is kind of like this thing, but not fully like it, if you know what I mean. We have often used at Fellowship a definition for a parable. We did this a couple years ago from C.H. Dodd, and I have it right here for you. A parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting its hearer by its vividness or strangeness, and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. A parable is meant to tease the mind, to activate our thinking, and necessarily by its very nature, in a way, it conceals a deeper truth about something, not explicitly stating what it is, but also reveals, helps us to see a different aspect of God's kingdom. Maybe it's like if Jesus were to carry our bags, we can see them differently. A parable helps us see God's kingdom a little bit differently. We're going to be reading from one of Jesus' parables in Matthew chapter 13. He has seven or eight, depending on who's counting and how they're counting. Uh, And we're going to receive this parable that we're reading this morning from uh, what we call the narrative lectionary. You might not know, but there's a set of assigned readings that churches across the nation and even some right here in Holland follow called the narrative lectionary. That, that means that we don't pick necessarily the passages each week, but they're kind of given to us and we uh, have to find a way to preach them. And, and to be perfectly honest with you this morning, I probably wouldn't have picked this parable. This is not an easy one or necessarily a favorite of mine, and, but maybe it is yours. And, and I trust that the Spirit has something to say to us through it. So listen to the first or a middle parable from Matthew chapter 13. We'll begin with the 24th verse. Listen for the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy must have done this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Are your minds teased at all? This parable seems somewhat straightforward and kind of agricultural, if you will. A landowner plants a field with the finest of wheat seeds, not some cheap Menards $1 seed packs, but the good stuff from De Bruyne. He probably planted them in clear, straight rows with good space between them so that they knew where to uh, harvest from, that the workers could walk through. 
And after a long day of sowing seeds, what's he do? He goes to bed and he's hopeful for a good harvest many weeks down the, many weeks down the road. But meanwhile, an enemy comes and plants seeds in those nicely planted Enneagram One rows that the farmer had planted. And then the workers discover many weeks later, as the wheat is beginning to sprout, that they got weeds. And so they tell the owner and said, hey, you want us to take care of the weeds for you? Nah, the owner says, we'll figure it out at harvest. At first, it's just kind of a curious story about farming. It doesn't seem that strange or vivid, does it yet? Well, consider this. What I discovered this week is that the weed that they planted in between the rows of those nicely planted wheat was a a weed called darnel, which is eerily familiar to the same looking plant as a wheat plant. And there's not just one or two weeds sprinkled throughout the field, but there's tons of these weeds. This is not just some accidental like blowing of the wind or birds that carry these weed seasons. There's intentional planting. This is kind of like agricultural terrorism, you might say. There's an enemy that has planted weeds or seeds in the soil. Someone sought to sabotage the garden. And so the helping hands, what do they do? They call the alarm as they should. They know that if this darnel takes over the field, it robs the nutrients from the, the good wheat and the wheat won't be able to grow as well. The harvest could get ruined because darnel, if one of those seeds is inedible and poisonous, if one of those seeds gets in the harvest, the whole wheat harvest is sabotaged. And not only that, but just think if the darnel goes to seed, what's going to happen next year to the field? The whole field will be ruined. Just ask Dick Carroll about what happens when farmers let their weeds go to seed in the fellowship garden. He's not a big fan. Bad news, friends. And so what do the the gardeners do? They run, alert the farmer right away. We got weeds. We have a huge problem. We're going to go take care of it. We'll pull the weeds. And what does the farmer say? No? What? Are you serious? You're going to let the weeds grow in the same field as the wheat? To a farmer, to everyone in first century agrarian society, this parable has to leave you wondering, why would the master let the wheat and the weeds coexist together? Isn't letting the weeds go more of a threat than pulling them off and maybe disrupting the roots a little bit? And not only that, what, what does this parable say about the master? It, does he not trust the farmhands to judge, I mean, distinguish between the wheat and the weeds? Is the master foolish or just excessively patient and trusting for a better outcome at the harvest? The strangeness of this parable is that the master doesn't seem to be doing it right. The disciples don't get it. Of course they don't. This is not the way you farm. You don't let wheat and weeds grow together. How is the kingdom like a bad farmer or a weedy field? Maybe that's why they ask for an explanation. They go behind closed doors and ask Jesus, help us understand this parable. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verses 30, verse 36 and following. Then Jesus left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, 
Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seeds stand for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, right? It's tempting, isn't it, to wonder if the disciples should have asked Jesus for an explanation after that explanation. What starts as a confusing parable about bad farming practices moves to an eschatological explanation that includes blazing furnaces and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like I said, this lectionary passage was handed to us. We did not choose it. In fact, I talked to another pastor in the area who said he's not even going to preach on the explanation. He's just going to stick with the parable. And I kind of don't blame him. It's almost as if Jesus has decided to say too much. You know, like when an artist decides that it's better to describe their art and then let it just speak. Or like when a joke has to be explained because nobody gets it. Pastor Ross talked about last week how jokes don't get funny when you say them so many times. But I think sometimes jokes lose a little bit of their luster if they have to be explained. You know, like when a joke goes over somebody's head. The vividness of Jesus' explanation of the parable seems to be on the end of time. What happens at the harvest? Where the wheat and the weeds are going to go? And the strangeness of the parable taken alone seems to be on the questionable farming practices of the owner and why the wheat and the weeds would be in the same field. I said earlier that a parable is intended to tease our mind as it reveals and conceals something about the kingdom. It doesn't tell us everything, but it does reveal something. And to be honest, I've wrestled all week with what this parable is revealing to us this morning. My mind has certainly been teased, and I wondered what, what, what is fruitful from this conversation, or what is fruitful from this passage. I encourage you to think about it a little bit this week as well, because there are many layers as you ponder this unique parable. But I want to highlight two of my wonderings with you this week. The first wondering I have is if the parable and the explanation say more about life today than life at harvest time. It's tempting to think with the graphic description of the harvest to allow the end of the story to make the most to be the, become the main focus. We're not sure how to how, but I'm not sure how helpful that it is to dwell on the end because we're not the judges of the wheat and the weeds and Wheat doesn't change into weeds, and weeds don't change into wheat, do they? And so, I wonder if this parable is more descriptive of the kingdom of God and how it's at hand right here and now. 
that life in this world is filled with wheat and with weeds. I think the disciples needed that reminder because they had assumed that Jesus was the Messiah. They had decided to hitch their wagon on him as the primary teacher, as as the, the Lord and Savior of all, and that he was preaching a kingdom that he was going to inhabit. He was going to be the king that would take over just like every other king has done. And his new rule would be established and everyone would see it and everyone would bow down to the king. However, in the disciples' reality, Jesus was not bowed down to, but confronted by the Roman rulers and the religious leaders. The Roman rulers were threatened by him and would be eventually responsible for what would happen to him. And the religious leaders in the previous two chapters continually sparred with Jesus. What if the parable of the wheat and the weeds is a comfort to those disciples? that wheat can still miraculously grow even amidst all of the weeds of their life. That the kingdom is still at work, even though it seems to be hidden by weeds, even though there are those that oppose the kingdom of God, even though Jesus' life will seemingly end in, in, in defeat, even though his disciples will encounter opposition and someday be persecuted, Jesus is affirming that wheat can still grow and bear fruit even amongst the weeds of this world. The kingdom is not all or nothing. It's more like, it's more like yeast that begins to permeate the dough and cover the whole earth. It's more like a mustard seed that though it seems incredibly tiny and small, it will one day grow and become a refuge for the birds of the air. The kingdom is more like a field, fruitful enough to allow wheat to grow, even amidst all the weeds. I think we need that reminder, too, that the kingdom is still at work in our world when we see weeds growing all over the place. Don't we? Our news feeds are filled with evidence that the world is not as it should be. Drive-by shootings earthquakes, fires, greed, corruption, war. And even tonight, as many of us celebrate the watching of the Super Bowl, the largest sporting event in our country, we might know or will probably be reminded by one of those ads that this is also a time when human beings are being trafficked at an alarming rate. It's tempting to think that the weeds are taking over, that the wheat will get choked out by those vicious weeds And yet the parable reminds us that the wheat is still growing, that there will be a harvest and the wheat will bear fruit. And this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I wonder wonder if our hearts are soil for wheat and weeds too. I know my heart still longs for the weeds of my life to be burned up. The baggage I can't seem to shake that still impacts me in unwanted ways the unfortunate judgments that still creep into my mind, the vices that still grip me. The parable is a recognition that wheat and weeds exist in this world and wheat and weeds might even exist in my very own heart. What if the good news of Jesus' parable is that he acknowledges the weeds and he nurtures the wheat in spite of it? Like a bellhop, he doesn't ask us to ignore our weeds. He doesn't shame us or the world for having weeds, but he's willing to walk with us and help us grow in spite of them. What would it look like 
for you, like the farmhands, to alert Jesus of the weeds in your own life. The second thing that this parable and its explanation have got me wondering about this week is the planter of the weeds in this world. Now, I'm not an expert on the providence of God. That's way above any of our pay grades, I believe. But this parable has got me wondering, what does it mean that the weeds in our life and in this world are not planted by God? How is the enemy at work in this world and maybe even in my own life? We don't talk too much about that in our tradition very often, and we're not really good at it, to be honest. But I think this parable offers a clear reminder that there's other powers at work in this world. There's other powers of influence at work in our own lives. And I think that's particularly important for us to remember, especially this week as we read of deadly natural disasters like an earthquake in Turkey. And we see pictures of horrific damage and the death toll continues to rise. And some among us falsely contend that this is God's somehow revenge or vengeance, that he had this planned so that they might experience this. But if this parable is true, and I believe it is, the, while the owner rests, there are others who plant weeds in this world. That suffering and sin are not a product of God. What if the good news of the parable is that Jesus is not the originator of evil and suffering? Like a bellhop, he doesn't steal it or pretend like it's not there and take it and just throw it away, but rather he holds the baggage of our hurts and the pain and suffering of this world. He's willing to take on the consequences of that pain and suffering for us. He's willing to go to hell and back to redeem it so that we might not have to have it hold us so closely redeeming our hurts, the world's hurts, and making a path back to restoration for this world and for us. This parable and its explanation tease our minds a little bit, doesn't it? It certainly did for me this week. It seems like it leaves plenty concealed about God's kingdom. But this parable also reveals something. How at least in part, God's kingdom is here and now and at work, and that Jesus himself acknowledges the weeds in our lives and this world and sustains the wheat even though there are so many weeds, and that one day that wheat will thrive and bear fruit. One day he will return and bring about the complete restoration of all things, gathering all of his wheat into his barn. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, we have heard God's word read, preached. We have prayed, we have sung. In just a moment of silence, how is the Spirit speaking to you? Do you stand and let's sing together?
My friends, uh, there are many weeds in this world and even in our own hearts, but God is the sustainer and nurturer of the wheat in our lives and in this world. He has done great things indeed, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.